When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. This episode of The Need to Fail is brought to you by Smashing Guitars. Yeah, I'm a rock star. I just smash my guitar when I'm done with it, man. Fuck you, dude. Give me that guitar. I want a guitar. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Need to Fail. My name is Don Finelli. I run this thing for just a little bit longer. Down to our final episodes here, revisiting my original guests from seven years ago. And up next is my good friend, Josh Patton. But you know I got to promote my farewell gear. Hate doing it. So why are you doing it, Don? Good question. Well, what do I have to lose at this point? Nothing. Want to buy some farewell Mahalo Your Dreams gear? Go to tpublic.com, search the need to fail or Mahalo Your Dreams, or even better, hit up one of my social media pages. I have the link somewhere recently in my Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, Don Finelli, at Don Finelli, Don Finelli, you know, all that shit. I got a sale until the end of August when my final episode will air. Selling shit during the pandemic feels like selling ice cream during a blizzard. But hey, some people like ice cream, whatever the season, baby. Maybe that, maybe that, maybe that person's you. Actually, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but I've been on the East Coast for like over a month. I've been in, like, I've been in New Jersey bouncing around between my house and Laura's house. Uh, we had the opportunity to fly out safely like right before things were about to spike in Los Angeles, maybe a week before the 4th of July. Uh, we weren't sure we were ever going to see our families again. Like, I hadn't seen mine since Christmas, so we just did it. And we like packed for two weeks. We wound up pushing flights and staying over a month now. And, you know, we got here, you know, with the kid, the dog, the whole shebang. We, we quarantined. We've been tested like three or four times over the month. Everything's negative. So thank God for that. It's uh, It's been amazing that Joni gets to spend so much time with her grandparents. Um, they've all been tested continually. Uh, so we've been psychotically safe and just kind of staying with the families and not doing basically doing anything else and staying as cautious as possible, just wearing our masks and sitting outside in the squelching humidity. Uh, anyway, it's been great to be with family. Uh, but man, we've just been jumping back and forth and just living out of a suitcase and just been delaying stuff and totally uprooted, discombobulated, no real routine. It's been super challenging. And now flying back's a whole other fucking story. You know, we're flying from a place where things are relatively stable into LA, which things are not. Uh, and uh, there's fucking earthquakes and it's just causing massive stress and anxiety. I mean, traveling with a one-year-old and a dog is already stressful. Now add a pandemic to it. And uh, yeah, quite unnerving to say the least. And now we don't know when the fuck we're going to be able to see our families again. Like, I don't know about Christmas. I have no idea. It's like the joy that Joni's, you know, brought them. Um, it's just making it tough to be away from them again. <laughs> so I have no idea what will happen. I think this will all be worth it. Uh, this time with our families was just so special and invaluable and, uh, genuinely touching, you know? Um, but you know, I'm just going to try to focus on what I can control, be as 
uh, a best a citizen as I can be and as conscientious and safe as I can be. But yeah, I'm flying back soon, which has been an internal debate if we should go or not. But yeah, we're doing it. And just please pray for me, goddammit, or visualize happy, protective thoughts. Thank you. All right, let's get to the show. We're talking to my bro, Josh Patton, a writer for SNL for eight fucking seasons and dive bar golden team master. Uh, he's on my indie improv team. Fuck that shit. Uh, we come out of the woodwork every now and then to perform, even online. Uh, he was a UCB stalwart uh, in New York for many years. He was on a weekend team called Grandma's Ashes. He was a DCM late night staple. He was in all them shows. He's uh, he's probably in the pantheon of players that I always want to have on stage with me. I mean, uh, I love playing with Josh. Ever since we were in a 600 level class together at UCB, it was called Cops and Robbers. We started spitting out lines from the movie Glory during a group game that no one else caught on to. I was like, yep, this is my dude. Uh, I just always feel comfortable going anywhere on stage with Josh. Dude will always have your back, make sense of shit. He's just one of the best improvisers and teachers out there. It was so great to catch up with them. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm just using one audio track, by the way, from our zoomed conversation in this one, there was some boring audio stuff. Of course, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, it's really great that this podcast is truly coming full circle because we're ending up where we began with the audio. This is probably even worse than where we began. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I highly recommend listening to that to hear Josh's journey to SNL and his setbacks along the way, how he pushed through them. But for now, it was a goddamn pleasure to catch up with him. Hey, he just got engaged last week. Okay. So, uh, that's fucking amazing. It was after we recorded this, so we don't talk about it, but nonetheless, congrats uh, to Josh and Shannon. I say we get to it. Here he is seven years later. It's Josh Patton. Yeah. So seven years have passed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Things are a little different now. Yeah. What I, what I, uh, you're still at the same job, man. That doesn't happen a lot. Right. (laughs) And this is not, Maybe no, late night. Really. I would say there's a lot. There's a good amount of like, like we know a good amount of late night folks that like stay or loyal to their late night show. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I but in the like industry and whole as a whole, uh, people kind of jump around all, yeah. all the time. Yeah, it's been a it's been a lot of uh, staying power. I think in late night, it's like the churn rate of a of a starting pitching staff in the major leagues. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like there's a lot. Like a team will start fucking. 13 or 14 dudes over the course of the year with injuries and all and burnout and people yeah, yeah. going in and out. But then like there's every team has like one or two where it's like, Oh yeah, they've been there a while. So yeah. yeah. The, yeah. And the, I've, I've looked up the percentages. I can send you the math on this, but it all checks out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. When we originally were talking, we were talking a lot about UCB stuff and your kind of like journey through that. We were talking yeah. about how you hit some walls and you were ready to kind of give up and, and Jason, your brother kind of, uh, the big thing was like, he was saying, you know, picture not doing this anymore. Like you'd be miserable. And that was kind of like a turning point for you to kind of keep, kind of keep pushing forward with stuff. And we were also talking a lot about validation as well. Like if yeah. you're, if you're, if you're looking for that external validation, you're a little behind the eight ball sometimes, because when you don't get it, um, you feel more, more like shit than you should, <laughs> I guess. Those are kind yeah. of the big things that we were covering. We were covering that journey. We were covering that. And you had just started. Mm-hmm. SNL at that point you were like yeah that would that would have been the end of my first season then because I got I started in 2012 and it's now 2020 so yeah I've been I've been there just finished up season eight yeah of mine how's how was the art how have these last years been I'm sure ups and downs through all of that as well 
but I mean, you're still fucking rocking and rolling there. Where are you at with SNL now? You're still, are you, weren't you like head of, are you head? Are you? No, no just a <laughs> no, staff writer. I'm like, you're not uh, the head of SNL. <laughs> nah, I'm a, I'm what is in my starting pitching analogy is known up known as an innings eater. <laughs> So I'm still putting up like a 4.2 ERA <laughs> and just getting like a few quality starts. I'm taking it into the sixth every week. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, no, no, I'm still staff writer there. I, I Back then I was like just sort of doing set up punchline jokes for weekend update. Like yeah. that was the only thing I would ever even write or attempt to write or pitch. But since yeah. then I've like uh, branched out to sketches and awesome. weekend updates also a little bit different. Um, and yeah. like the character, the characters we do on weekend update, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. my responsibilities have grown a little bit but my title has stayed the same but my responsibilities and yeah. kind of what i'm expected to do but mostly what i expect for myself has increased mm. over the years mm-hmm. gotcha how is that how have things changed is it just more responsibilities is it just more when you were there where you're like oh i have more goals now because the last time i think we were talking about goals you were saying you kind of just look what's in front of you you're trying to be the best joke writer you can be yeah 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 absolutely i can't like think too many steps ahead and that's that's been true yeah um, how's your time been, there been though how how is how is it has it been i'm I've, I've everyone i talked to that's worked there i mean it has its challenges did you fall into a rhythm has that changed at all um i mean my rhythm and just like routine practices have changed but that's like that's boring shit that's like i take a run in the morning instead of night now like that kind of <laughs> my diet has changed because you know, i'm old now um <laughs> People want to hear it, man. People want to hear that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I have remained listless and without concrete goals, as I define, like, beyond more steps than just getting better at my job. Because I I do really like it. I love the job. Yeah. Uh, It's been mostly just challenges and any sort of setbacks or success in that path has been very craft related, just yeah. like getting better at what I do, finding out what doesn't work, finding out what does, finding out the best practices to put myself in a position for success and yeah. evil F. Oh. Was there things that you like felt like that were precious early on that you're now like, oh yeah, that that didn't really totally matter back then. It's all I think worth it. Like you all kind of like need to go through all these things to kind of come out the other side with some clarity. But was there anything mm-hmm. that you kind of can look back on that you were like Oh yeah, I kind of put a lot of F or a lot of thought into this, thinking this mattered a lot more than it did, or anything like that. Yeah, that first season, I remember being very much judging myself on number of jokes per episode. On oh it. yeah, right. Uh, which is because when you're in a, and it is like when you're in a situation for the first time, you sort of take whatever crumbs you can have to evaluate your own performance. And <laughs> yeah, right, doing, right. Yeah. You know, and like, and also <laughs> to put to put that pressure on yourself that interior. Yeah. Uh, pressure slash motivation. And I remember the first year, I God, man, I would never admit it, but I would always judge myself based on the number of jokes that I got on air. And I remember I got mad at my family once because uh, I think it was my mom. I'm mad. I was like, I had to give a talking to. Because mm-hmm. uh, my mom, my mom, it was like maybe 10 or 11 episodes in and my mom was like, hey, which jokes last night were yours? And it just felt so much like a test. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> and also I think like I had like one joke on that week or something like that. Yeah. Um, and over time, that I, I knew that that was a bad way to judge it and I knew intellectually that it was not productive, but it took time and experience to grow past that to mm-hmm. where I 
I don't know how many jokes, like I don't even know these numbers or anything when I would obsess over them when I first started. Yeah. But I do know whether or not I've done the job to a hundred percent of my abilities yeah. on a week by week basis. Right. And even if that, even if that means that I got nothing on the air, which I, you know, which doesn't happen, but like, even if it's yeah. like zero things on air, if I knew that the process was okay, yeah, like, right. it was, right. it was great. It was, yeah, um, I, did, I did my job. I know when I do my job. Yeah. Cause I'm guessing at first you're, it's almost like Harold Knight in a way where you're like, I hope I don't get kicked off. I hope I don't get, I hope I don't lose this thing. But even then the last time you were talking about losing something was actually very helpful for you because yeah. it kind of makes it less precious. And like you, you, you went through the shitty parts of it. So it's kind of like more of more, I guess, fun or more appreciative experience. Yeah. Um, I guess my I guess my first show that I got zero jokes on, which was actually before we talked in 2013, but I never <laughs> would have said this because I was a braggadocio idiot back then. Uh, the first show it was my mom. My mom came to a show. It was uh, host Vince Vaughn and musical guest Miguel. So it was her two faves. Hell yeah, uh, yeah, classic. Just a great, the classic, great, great episode. Uh, um, <laughs> And I remember that was the that was the only show where I got zero jokes on, and my mom was there for like oh. she like came up from North Carolina, and it was just yeah. like a real. That was like just creatively, just like the pits, and that was probably probably good that that happened because then after that, I I stopped caring about it less because I could never sink lower than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always always hit rock bottom. That's what I tell. That's, 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 yeah. that's what Josh I tell. Patton yeah. always hit rock bottom. I tell, That's your teacher. I tell every single person I talk to at a bar drinking by themselves in the afternoon, <laughs> like, bro, <laughs> you got it. Bro. Did it, man. You're there. You're where you're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, with, with that, once you start kind of settling into a place, then other things start opening up. So you start writing more sketches. Like, yeah. Your, your responsibilities grow. And mm-hmm. so new challenges come with that. Which I guess mm-hmm. is super healthy. If you're going to stay in one place, it's like finding those things to keep challenging yourself, which makes you feel like there's constantly some sort of growth, I guess. Yes, there's been sort of a very constant incremental growth over the course of of the year. So I've never felt like burnt out or stagnant mm-hmm. or anything like that, like yeah. on a joke writing level or yeah. approaching yeah. the work level. Is it a situation it feels like you've concentrated a lot on your job and it feels like you're also trying to balance your life, like your personal life. Was that like an important step for you? Was that something where you're like, man, I'm like kind of killing myself in my job here. I need some sort of balance or did that something that just kind of came into your life where you're like, I want love. I want more than just work and all that stuff. Is that like a conscious thing that happened or did you kind of fall into that? Um, this is speaking from someone on the outside looking in to you. Yeah, yeah, Where it yeah. feels like you're you're kind of in a good uh, emotional and spiritual and place. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very happy in many aspects of. I don't know if I made this analogy to you before, but uh, I think it was that old David Sedaris story that said. I think he was relaying advice. So now I'm telling this like fifth man. So <laughs> yeah, this is telephone advice. Yeah, great build up for that. Where it's like. <laughs> If you have like four buckets of life, they are uh, work, uh, family, friends, or no, work, mm-hmm. health, friends and family, mm-hmm. and like relationship, partner, romantic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could never have all four of these filled up at one time. You can have yeah. like three of them, but it, right. it's like you can have like a good relationship with your friends and family and a good relationship with your yeah 
spouse in a good relationship at work, but then your health's going to be shit. Or you can be in right. good shape right. and your romantic's going great, friends and family, but you have your friend, right. you right. have no job and no. Like you start no. with five gallons of water and you're not, there's no more, no less. You're kind of playing yes. with the same amount of water. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, I definitely had that uh, romantic part uh, and the friends and family part way, way down. Uh, <laughs> so I decided to take some stuff out of the other buckets and, uh, you know, gain five pounds and uh, meet somebody. Uh, and also, like, I guess my brother's advice kind of came. Uh, it's also like, you know, this when you meet somebody that is special, you, it's cycling back to my brother's advice of like, ah, you don't follow up on this like mm-hmm. no matter no matter what the challenges are you're, you're going to regret it for forever so yeah what, what does that take for you are you when you do that I, is it like you actually feel yourself like not having the thing like you're taking a moment to really picture life without it and and kind of coming to terms with how much certain aspects certain the certain people or certain things in your life mean to you do you know what i mean like it's like when someone goes yeah. picture your life without this are you actually picturing your life without it? Or does it, or does that, the person just saying that to you, that hits you so hard that you're like, oh shit, no, I love this thing. I actually picture myself as an old guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like immediately flash forward to an old guy thinking about it. Yeah. Probably drinking, probably drinking at a bar and hitting rock bottom in the middle of the day. Talking to honest. your looper young self. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I stumbled across some sort of time machine and then popped myself back. But yeah, no, that's what I picture. I picture myself like being old and sort of at the end of it all when like responsibility of work fades away and responsibility, yeah. you know, when all the day-to-day stuff fades and it's sort of a looking back yeah. phase. Right. And it is truly, it's not me looking back on my current life or projecting outward. It's me pretending to be an old man. Yeah. Looking back on it. And you had talked about your father a little bit passing away. Does that still, is there, is there moments where that still affects decisions that you make or is that, is that you have a different relationship with that? I think a lot of people experience loss in different ways and how that. Yeah. It, it evolves. I would say like, I don't tangibly feel it on any decisions I make. Right. Right. It's with you in a certain way, but not, not yeah. something where you're like, Oh, I have to go back to that moment to kind of motivate myself to do X, Y, Z or any shit like that. No, no, not that sort of uh, mythic vengefulness, yeah. I think is what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I am still hunting for his real killer. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Continuing. As we all are. Yes. Yeah. One day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've made false accusations against a number of one-armed men. <laughs> It's like, what's your relationship with like improv? How'd that change over the years? Because we were so dedicated. We were teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. We were performing so much together. You were yeah. one of those guys when we started out, like you were, you were so involved on the indie scene and grinder, baby. Grinder. You were grinding it out, man. And yeah. you, you really went through it. You got kicked off of Harold Knight. You got put back on Harold yep. Knight. Like you went through uh, it all. Then we, then we did fuck that shit a bunch and you were on a weekend team and stuff yeah. like that. So has things changed with that over the years? Do you feel the, I mean, fuck it, it's just such a joy, but I don't know what your relationship yeah. with like comedy, improv, all that crap is now. It is. I guess it kind of moved to a place where it was sort of something I did on my weeks off from SNL with my friends. And it was mostly a way to see my friends and to like yeah. reconnect with them and sort of bask in their brilliance. Yeah. Uh, Cause I could feel myself not getting as good. And then I kind of cycled back around to really sort of loving it for the, for the craft of it. Yeah. Um, and just really 
viewing it as sort of a play, a playground sandbox mentality of, yeah. uh, you know, a place where you can perform in front of a live audience and then never take that for granted, which maybe I think I did for a couple of years. Sure. Um, the, uh, the sort of bond between performer and audience. Yeah. Uh, doing, mostly doing like, mostly doing like grandma's Ashley shows on like Saturdays when SNL wasn't around where it was like sort of a super happy fun time for me, but. Uh, I don't know if I was giving it 100% for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. But yeah, but I kind of cycled back to where it's uh, to where that bond becomes special again and you sort of realize right. uh, what that means and what a joy and a privilege is to be able to get a chance to make people laugh. Yeah, I think that plus doing it with people that you also love and respect is such a mm-hmm. gift. And I think, you know, the scene's going through a lot of uh, good changes, I think. and. Mm-hmm it's uh it's good to kind of it's yeah i feel grateful looking back kind of being there at the time that i did although that we were surrounded by problems some that i knew some that i didn't um finding each other was uh again i mean i say every fucking episode you're there to find your collaborators out of anything of course you want to be on stage and you want all the accolades to go with you but going back to our original conversation many years ago that external validation fades away and it's really like the people that you wind up with whether you, you know, wind up going on creating actual professional things with them or it's like a sandbox, you know, like a, you can always like, uh, you know, play poker with them kind of thing. It's just that right. kind of uh, place where you can kind of trust people and huh. be a reminder. Yeah, po- uh, yeah, poker night, the most trustworthy environment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. I definitely don't have the same like drive as I did when we were younger to, to perform as much because I think it was a lot ego driven. And then also like I was hell bent on like being very focused on getting better and you know, Mm. all that stuff. And now it's like, yeah, but now you also have a bunch of different outlets. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's it's not the one thing. Yeah. Cause like, you know, Back then, I was working a forty-hour-a-week job in educational advertising, yeah, right. sales, or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> uh, I was doing that. I was, you know, and then when that ended, I didn't yeah. have friends outside of comedy. I didn't have like a girlfriend or life or anything like that. I had that, yeah. And so when you worry in your life like that, it does grow in importance. For yeah. good, for good reasons. Yeah, you know, but not not for good reasons that last forever. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Has the has like fucking pandemic made you rethink things, or is it more of a kind of doubling down on things? Because I feel like so one way we go like, oh, there's a bigger picture. Maybe you're kind of thinking of things that actually matter to you, and you're approaching those. Or sometimes it's just like, man, I really love what I'm doing. I really want to make this. Figure out how to make this work. Do you, where are you at on the whole? Mm. we're all fucking scared i don't know <laughs> yeah it's really really scary and we're not doing great at it um <laughs> well i mean it kind of gets back to that uh you know accepting the, the things you can't change and one yeah, of those right. things is like kind of the timetable on all this and you know it's the what i can do right now to affect that is like when i go for runs around the neighborhood wearing my mask i can scowl at people who aren't wearing theirs um right and maybe that'll affect the, the larger shift to getting back to audience like live audience based performance yeah. of, all, of all sorts yeah if that's anything, what that's thought, what's that's what seems to bring you the most joy sorry to cut you off but that seems like yeah, yeah. that is that is it it's the live 
aspect of having that audience performer writer connection. Laughter and comedy are a communal experience and they will always be a communal experience. Yeah. And you can, you can't really cheat your way around that because you can't really keep honest at what's genuinely funny versus what's, you can lie about drama. Have I ever told you this, my drama versus comedy thing? I think so, but let's repeat it. Sure. (laughs) Uh, yeah, man, you can lie about drama. You can say like, oh, well, that was very emotionally affecting. And like, you know, while I was watching that, what was going on in my internal monologue was like some real deep thoughts about the characters. God, it was really good or it was really bad. You can like, and you can, if you're good at a process that I call lying, you can make that up. You can just pretend stuff was good or you can pretend stuff isn't. But with comedy and live performance uh, of comedic nature, uh, you have the laugh or you don't, and the proof uh-huh. you put it's right there. You cannot, you, you, like, it's an involuntary response. That's a right, right. And you're judged so harshly, and that yeah. fucking rules and makes it a much better art form. Yeah. And every 21 Jump Street, the movie should have won the Best Picture Oscar. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Did that, does that shit get easier over time? Like, when, if you do write something... Of course, the other side of it's like you write something and it gets a huge response. You feel like you're on top of the world. Mm-hmm. But part of this is like going for shit, it not working out, just like on stage. It's like, oh, that didn't happen. You kind of yeah. giggle it away. It's kind of easier sometimes with improv. You kind of, we kind of look at each other and, and know that that didn't hit. And it's just internally funny to us as, yeah. as much as it's externally uh, painful for the audience. But uh, man, does that get easier? Best, you're, you're the best at that, by the way. I love oh. when you're on stage and you do something where it's like, nope, all right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, it's not great. Like your character says that. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The character knows. I, it's, you know, with a more experience, I know what'll work. I know when a joke will work. Um, right, right. The fun, the more, it's more rewarding and more enjoyable for the stuff where I'm not sure. Yeah, right. Like, even yeah. if it's like, if it's like content that's like sort of out there, an idea that's like a little bit complex or something that like, yeah. instead of being 1.2 steps ahead of the audience, mm-hmm. which is like sort of the sweet spot, you're like 1.5. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, is this going to work? Yeah. Uh, or if it's like a cadence or joke construction that is novel, I think mm-hmm. is always, that stuff is like the stuff that kind of animates my soul a little bit to where, sure. you know, I still, I still get very nervous before any sketches or you do uh, or up to, yeah 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 by proxy i'm not doing anything with them they're done i've like you know part of it is like oh shit did i check the cue cards and is there one missing or did right. they drop them on the way there like absolutely <laughs> like you know crazy like yeah hypochondriac type uh uh-huh. nervousness mm-hmm. um but yeah but mostly it's just like it's nervous of like oh boy this is gonna be we're gonna see how this goes yeah yeah, yeah. but that's the um, that's the that's the joyful stuff that's why we're doing it live because it's the, yeah the, the stuff that you know is a little bit more of a slam dunk, probably just much less, not less, less interesting to you, but it's kind of like, almost like you're doing your job. It's kind of like you're clocking in, you know, it works. You're going to do your job. There's satisfaction in the, in that yeah. as well. But like the real it's the, juicy it's the, stuff, it's the, it's the, meat. the meat and the potatoes. Yeah, that's, the, that's the dessert, baby. It's meat and potatoes versus dessert. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the real juicy stuff is still, uh, yeah. The real juicy stuff is still there, but like, I guess over time, I wish I had an example of this, but like if you pull something off, that's a little bit more high wire, then that can become like more of a guaranteed meal later on. Mm, right. You know, like yeah. if you're, 
Because it's you're always handshaking with the audience. It's not right, new right. people in a void, and like they have expectations of you, and you have expectations of them. So you can get away with a little bit more. Like you know this with yeah, when you pull off like some sort of conceptual improv move, the yep. audience, the next time they see a show, they might be ready for that. So you might yeah. have to like Up add a twist. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Which is fun. That's always like that's how you keep growing and keep evolving, and not just you know picking out. Um, jokes from a random sampler yeah a good amount of fuck that shit was like hey let's do something a little bit more highbrow mostly forced by me and uh totally my fault and then if it was just like oh this isn't really happening it's like well let's just repeat each other and do a quick sound of movement (laughs) let's just right right right. (laughs) let's just quickly get out of this this will this will get us out of this heady fucking Mm. insanity yeah i'm happy that all those shows are online and nobody's ever going to take the clips of us doing doofy seven seconds of sound and movement and put them in a montage together. It uh, will now, man. They will yeah. now. You already yeah. set the table. I'm really happy that that's the case. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, I'm also really happy that the internet has hours and hours and hours of in-character performance footage of us that I have, we have no idea what it is. No clue. <laughs> Just no a Pandora's bug sift through. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. No, no memories of doing anything. I can't no. remember. I can't remember anything when it comes to improv. So it's it's been funny to be like, wow, all these shows live here, and people have watched these, and that's crazy, man. That is so yes, and like, and like dissect them, and, and they dissect them. And they say like, oh well, I think in this case the initiation was this, and the other person was thinking this, and they responded yeah. that, and it's like, nope. No way. No way. It was, we're trying to make each other laugh and we're trying to like, we're fucking with each other and we're trying to one up each other. That's basically what's happening. And then we like fully trust each other that we can screw with each other. So yeah, someone's smart enough to figure out how to tie it all together at the end. We'll be, we'll be okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That happened. That happens one out of every five times, you know, we had a 20% success rate maybe. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just eat, well, just eat, eat ninnins, baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Final question. Uh, anything that you've kind of digested over the years that you really either go back to like book wise or something that kind of elevated you that kind of took you to a new level, either emotionally, spiritually, creatively, something that kind of that you, that you really discovered that you'd want to share or just something that meant a lot to you. I'll give you my current jam. I don't know about Let's looking do it. over the years if I've had it's a okay. Give me your current job. Uh, there's a, uh, I'm going to paraphrase very roughly, but there's a, uh, it's a play, like sort of a Greek chorus play called The Rock that's written by T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's about religion, but I feel like it holds. Okay. Uh, whether, whether you are or you aren't. It's paraphrased very, very loosely. I'm very sorry for this. It's a, uh, you know, why do men turn to the church? It's to be reminded of death. It's to be reminded of uh, the things unseen. Mm-hmm. And it's while men go about pretending that they can create systems that won't require anybody to be good, mm. which is a good reminder to always try to be good. Because mm. we're, we're never going to get that right. The systems of it. We're never going to get that right. We're going to try real hard, and it's noble to try real hard. But at the root of it all, is you got to try to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You read this as a you read this play. Or no, did you- no, no. 
Okay, was, this was paraphrased. So apply. I don't know if like you read the. It was line. it was paraphrased in an uh, a long journalism article about our yeah. digital selves versus our analog selves. Oh, like, interesting. Present on, like, yeah, it's worth yeah. yeah, that's great. I will uh, I will look that up. Yeah, I am into that stuff. I have often yeah. thought about this, and when this is all over, I'm I'm going to take a bye bye from all the digital stuff. So I'm just kind of doing it to promote stuff right now, but I. I really loathe it. So I I think it's, I think that it's fundamentally bad for our brains and I'm probably just speaking from my own personal experience. I've taken, I haven't been really on social media uh, all summer after SNL ended and man, oh man, it's just so good for my brain. It's so bad to just be, uh, to have that dystopian dopamine dispenser working on your noodle all day. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, man. That's it's, it makes me, it makes me depressed and on social media you get to communicate as a perfect version of yourself who has never made any mistakes. Yes. Right. And like, that's some honestly, no matter where you are and what you're talking about from what side, that's some Pharisee shit, you know, you're it gonna, robs you of empathy too. Yeah. Like if you, it's if like, you, you're you going to be you're perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, you know, think that, QAnon is real or whatever, mm-hmm. and everybody's a secret pedophile. Or, you know, you're going to think, yeah, you just, it's so bad for your brain because that's not how humans are meant to interact. I think, I think the, the, the trick is, or what they've tricked us with is like, how can you stay quote unquote connected or how can you stay up to date? It's like, well, we, we did this before to some extent. Like, there are ways to do it. And I think it, yeah. I think it actually uh, encourages more face to face and, Maybe not now, but more. I, I've talked on the phone more, and you Same. know, like I'm, I'm more doing this stuff, and Same. I, I, I much quit, prefer I it, Facebook, man. <laughs> yeah, I quit Facebook like five years ago. Talk to my family on the phone way more, way more. Yeah. Text them way more. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this was great. Follow thanks, me buddy. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Thank yeah. you for doing this, though. This is you're the best, dude. Um, yeah. I'm happy to catch up with you. Yeah, always. That was Josh Patton. Thanks, Josh, for doing this again, buddy. Congrats again. Go check out SNL when it comes back in the fall, you silly Billy. Uh, He's not really doing uh, social media right now, but you can check him out on Twitter when he unbuckles and dives back into that cesspool. He's at the Josh Patton. I'm on Twitter at Don Finelli or at the need to fail questions, concerns, failure stories of your own. Email me the need to fail at gmail.com. All things need to fail merch, AKA my one design head over to T public search. The need to fail or Mahalo your dreams or check out my social medias for the links. I got sales going on right now. Get some need to fail gear and why not rate and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher and tell all your family friends to do so as well. That's it for me here. Got all new failures coming at you next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Don Finelli. Mahalo your dreams. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram 
at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.